Welcome to What's My Thesis. I am your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found and the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask What's My Thesis. And today, my guest is Anna Brenninger? Brenninger? Close. Yeah. What, what is it? Brenninger. Brenninger. I thought there were, like, I saw the EI, and I, but I didn't want to make it too Nazi ish or too German. <laughs> Sorry, not yeah. Nazi ish. <laughs> well, Brenninger! <laughs> Call it like you see it, but that's not me. That's no. not you. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Just uh, so, so uh, uh, just to get an idea of where we're at, uh, in ter- I mean, obviously, I don't uh, ver- know you uh, other than through Instagram and like looking at your stories and stuff. We don't actually have a personal relationship. I do enjoy some of your work. I mean, some of it. I mean, I do enjoy your work, so that's obviously <laughs> why you're here. But um, are you, what city are you in? I'm in LA too. You're in LA? Okay. Sometimes I don't know. Of course. Yeah. Instagram makes everything so, I mean, the container is just so um, abstract and weird. It's its own world. Uh, But yeah, I'm in LA. My studio is in Chinatown and I'm there right now. Oh, we're like, so we could have just, you could have just come over if it wasn't for COVID. Well, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated, so. Oh, okay. I'm. I get mine on the 19th, so maybe the, at that point I'll start doing them inside, which will be a completely different setup. But, uh, but yeah, man, I'm excited to have you because you like literally that is like I could walk over to you right now. Uh, we're so close, and I've been doing uh, episodes on this neighborhood, and I'm sure there's a lot of crazy shit going on in Chinatown too. So this area is fascinating to me. I really like like it out here. It's uh, it's kind of crazy, but Chinatown's dope. How long have you been there with your studio? Um, A long time. I mean, well, relatively. I've lived here for seven years, and my studio has been here the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't – this I've been in for six years. I was in a different spot before, but I've been working in Chinatown the whole time I've lived in L.A. So yeah, it's great. And you're originally from where? I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so yeah. I, I'm like, the more I do the show, the more I realize I have no idea what the, this country's like. So <laughs> it's been helpful to get an, an insight, especially when, uh, when you interview people from like other cities and you realize like, oh, it's, there's no difference. You, it, 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 at least in some ways, right? Like in terms of like, uh, I mean, how do you see the, the Pennsylvania art scene different? Where, what city in Pennsylvania were you from? Well, I'm from a small town called Waynesboro. It's a like kind of a farming community, super uh, rural. But then I lived in Philly uh, for like almost a decade. And Mm. so I would say the art scene that I'm thinking of would be what's going on in Philadelphia, which is, you know, I think it's similar in a way. I mean, I don't know what it's like now because it was so long ago that I was there, I think, I was there like over 10 years ago at this point, but Mm. there's no market. And so there are a lot more like artist co-ops and kind of like really strange things Mm. happening that I think artists feel uh, more inclined to do with a sense of freedom of like, no one's looking at this or or buying it. So, yeah. (laughs) So are you, are you actively selling work out here? Cause I'm not just, <laughs> I, um, I just haven't gotten my this. I, I, the show turned out to be a really, really bad way to get that get get that going. Because <laughs> now I don't yeah. have time. I don't have enough time to make uh, work on the scale that I want to. But I'm going to. So, like I'm things are actually stabilizing for me. But so how, what's what's your like? Are you are you showing in in Chinatown and stuff, or are um, you represented? 
I am not currently represented. I um, just, I like a lot of people, COVID kind of put a halt to some things that were in the works, but it was actually uh, not so bad as far as reconsidering what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and why I'm doing it. So mm. there's that experience that I've been having. But yeah, as far as like showing and, and selling work, like I think that over the past couple of years has picked up for me. I think yeah. being here the first the first like two years I was here, was just like, I don't know what's going on. I have to figure the city out before I feel like I'm a part of it in a way. Yeah. Um, but things have, things have been picking up, which is, which is nice. Um, yeah. but the first thing that happens when I think, when I meet someone from LA th- doing through this context, because usually I, I, I mean, back in the day, back before COVID, I used to meet people in person. Whereas now it's a, it's a thing where I'm like, well, where do our groups overlap? You know, like, cause I, they have to, right? It's, it's not that big of a art scene out here. I mean, it is, but it's not, and it's very disparate, but there's always like little over, uh, overlaps and enclaves. So yeah. Um, I mean, not, not that we need to find that answer, but it's always nice to meet new people in LA as a side note, but, yeah. um, sorry, go ahead. Well, the, uh, this podcast is probably great for that for you because you get to kind of just invite yeah. me. And I'm, I'm sure we do have some common threads. We'll have to check. The yeah, yeah, off air. Here. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, it, maybe if we see running to each other at a show and stuff. But, but I do like that now that like I've had conversations with because I think that when you meet people in uh, art contexts, sometimes it can it can just be like really hard to like actually get to know someone, you know. Everybody's have has a drink in their hand and it's all very like, oh, hey, you know, this person and this person. Oh, you guys should meet blah, 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 blah. And then but like there's no actual art conversation. That's the greatest myth about art openings. No one ever fucking talks about art. Never. <laughs> no, it's so there's no conversations about theory. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's just such a quick like, yeah, kind of networking. I feel like any conversation I get into during an opening is 10 minutes max, yeah. right? You're just kind of like, I don't know, you're there, you're flooded with people and stimulation. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I you hang out with the people that you know after like, you just regroup with your with your crew and you're like, all right, just say hi to everybody. Yeah. Okay. It's time to go. <laughs> yeah, get a drink. We're done. <laughs> so, uh, so what, what, let's, uh, let's get into our topic today. Cause I'm, I'm very curious cause you kind of, uh, before we started recording, you kind of let the cat out of the bag and now I'm, I'm interested cause I actually don't think of your work so much as kitschy, but you, I mean, is kitsch your a topic you mentioned, you brought it up earlier. Well, I was, so I was thinking about the format of the show uh-huh. and where I'm at in the studio and in life right now. Okay. And to that end, I don't have a, a topic. Because okay. part of you what those I guys. Been, yeah, one of those guys, yeah. You're making me work harder. Been. Now I got to be a host instead oh, of just no, lazy no. and sit back and listen to you talk. Go oh, ahead. I can, I can talk. Don't worry I about know. that. But, um, <laughs> I figured. <laughs> but um, I've been really, you know, I think deconditioning from grad school and just sort of um, the idea that criticality has to be present in work for it to be good. Uh, I think I've been shedding that for a while, but COVID has also really been like a a pretty pivotal for me to be like, I don't need a a thesis (laughs) in a way. Like I can be like what I, who I am as an artist is a filter and a lens 
um, for my experience and for the world and for culture. And so um, I have been allowing myself to just kind of like grab things and rather than um, think of them as a distillation that needs a thesis, just sort of work with that. So um, isn't it crazy that you go to grad school and then you have to like unlearn grad school? <laughs> it is. It's it, a, is. it comes up a lot, man. It, I, I did. I, that's how I was with my BFA, which, which is why I never. Uh, which is why I chose not to go to grad school. I was like, I don't want a bunch of fucking assholes to tell me I'm worthless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there were there were benefits for me for sure. Like, yeah. Um, Where'd I you go to school? Of, I went to Cranbrook, and it's in Michigan. But a lot of people moved out here, so I ended up having a pretty amazing network when I got here, and. Um, some really tight friendships and things. And I mean, I did, I don't want to talk poorly of it because I, I don't regret it. I think it was good, but there yeah. it was a lot of sort of deconditioning. And I think we're in a moment for that right now as well. And I mean, I guess, I guess my topic isn't necessarily kitsch, but it's things that are surrounding like um, the ideas of feminized beauty and ornament, which I think is definitely mm. kitsch. Um well, so the first thing that pops into my mind is because first, I, like, I, I mean, not to like highlight anyone other than other people, but uh, uh, Adrienne Sachs I had recently on the show and she just blew my brains out with like her, her, uh, her take on um, uh, just cuteness as an aesthetic and like the, the and so I think it's like, I think kitsch maybe is a little bit different because I think kitsch, we think of more like art in that sense right or like yeah. what would you find kitsch for me that let's start do that as a starting point like what are we what are you specifically talking about when you say kitsch i th when i think about kitsch i think about um uh an object or an image that's made in response to something that's already in existence and okay. its main function is to replicate that thing to get it into as many hands as possible so it needs to be like cheap and pre-digested in that case so um, would that would would uh like hello kitty fall under that category like give me some examples of what you're you're what you define as kitsch yeah i think hello because it's one of those words that i kind of know but you know I, I, it's really hard right like i was yeah, actually yeah. giving a i was a visiting artist for some undergrad students a little while ago and i kept on using the word kitsch and 10 minutes into the lecture i was like i don't know if they know what that means. And so yeah. I, stopped. I was like, do y'all know the definition of kitsch? Do you? And they're like, no. And then I realized that I couldn't easily, like it's so, you know, those words that just become sort of, you understand yeah. them and they just get lodged in the memory bank. And if you're forced to define them on the spot, even though you know it intimately, you couldn't come up with those two or three sentences that it takes to be like, that's what this is. I'm thinking um, of that scene in Reality Bites where uh, Ethan Hawke uh, is able to verbalize what uh, irony is after, what's her name, uh, Winona Ryder, gets, like, doesn't get a job because she wasn't able to define it. And it's like, it, it, there are definitely lots of words where I'm like, what the fuck does that, like, when I start to think about it, I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, what does it really mean? Um, yeah, so that, uh, Kitsch is kind of like that. For, I mean, it can it can mean a lot of things and there are different types and degrees. You know, I think that like kitsch and camp are kind of cousins in a way. Mm. Um, so I like 
John Waters, very campy, very kitschy, different mm-hmm. than Hello Kitty, but still, you know, we can still use those words to talk about both of them. So where I think where my work might fall into that is the sort of um, through the decorative element. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I sort of mine domestic domestic ornament and follow the path of that of ornamentation kind of through culture and time and object. Um, so that's where I loosely locate kitsch. Um, and then I also for a couple of years was doing this project before COVID called be still life where mm-hmm. uh, my friend Kristen Kammermeyer and I were like setting up these crazy elaborate still life arrangements and drawing from them and inviting other people to come draw. It was performative, but it was also a really good way, kind of like this podcast to like bring somebody in that you want to get to know better, or you haven't Mm. talked to in a while and sit around and draw for a couple hours. But the collecting of the objects, the allowing for any object to become fair game in the still life really kind of like opened up my, um, I don't know what I was allowing in, in the work even more so when you say it, it would it would, are we talking about things that would be like uh mcdonald's toys and stuff like that that kind of level of object you know that like, got uh, in there yeah i never yeah, yeah. drew that but <laughs> the still life itself became almost a sculpture and then the drawings were a second part of it and then the performative mm-hmm. act of like drawing still life like a sunday still life club Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was a couple I'm down years. dude I already want to sign up I, or, well, what, what I my friends and I used to do is and I'm trying to get this going again uh is to just uh take turns up as as a model as a dressed model but like uh you know take turns where, where someone stands and does a, strikes a pose for like 20 minutes and then the next person and everybody gets a chance to have a model and then everybody has a chance to feel weird at the oh, same that would time. be fun, yeah. yeah. So I used to do that yeah. in a group of three, and we all like it was kind of. It's funny how artists like can turn something that like they're so into something that it's something that can be like awkward. Typically, no one acknowledges it, and you just do it, and you're like having fun, and like no one's ever like, "Hey, isn't this kind of weird that we're like just sitting around not talking? One of us is standing, and you know, like that's a weird dynamic, right? Like, I imagine there's something similar to that, like with people setting up a still life and whatnot, and then, uh, you know, like there is a there's something not not uh, it's not a regular activity, right? Like it's not like playing parcheesi. It's, it is, but, you know, as you're talking about that too, I think about the alternatives, which is like a dinner party, which is great, or like sitting around and, and doing what, like having beers with friends, which is also great. But like so often I think we crave, especially in, in adulthood, like we crave an activity around mm-hmm. which we can all like coalesce. Yeah. And it's like hard to find, um, you know, we don't have, we don't, carve out spaces for like play and collaboration and stuff like that like what you're talking about um but yeah because in a way your thing sounds like it could be costumed like if you're standing up in front of people oh yeah like we never took it that far but that's actually kind of cool i like that element see we should have invited you to give us more depth (laughs) i mean i I feel like we're gonna have to do it now we're gonna have to have to organize a drawing session you bring some of your art friends i'll bring some of my art friends and we'll just make it happen that sounds great yeah that that sounds great i mean i'm and then and then we'll try to figure out who who we both invite and then that's how we'll know what the overlaps are 
We'll figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, I'm not, so I've never been a figure painter or figure drawer, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the reason I flocked toward like pattern and ornament and, and decor. Cause like, yeah. Like well, my that. work's not figurative either, but I do like drawing still, uh, you know, drawing uh, figure like figures just because, I mean, it's never going to end up in my actual work, but when do you get to do that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's like, um, exercising a different muscle. And when yeah. I was doing these still life drawing sessions, I found that my paintings got better. Like the content of them shifted, but I became a better painter. Like I yeah. under, like, obviously no duh. If you're, if you're playing a sport and you practice the sport, you're going to get better at it. That's like yeah. how anything works. And so I was like surprised that it surprised me that I got better. I was like, obviously, Anna, like you, you're not just like born and you can draw <laughs> like you're practicing. And, um, but that felt good. So I guess like, yeah, if, even if draw figure drawing is not part of your practice, it yeah. would still, something would happen. I don't yeah, know. What. It's, I mean, cause like, it's just about sitting down and taking the time to actually like look at stuff. But anyway, let's get back to kitsch. Cause I'm kind of curious. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're in a, in a very broad space about, uh, about just general practice, but I want to get a little bit more into what you're interested in, in terms of like, cause, cause I mean, I've seen some of the stuff, there's some interesting stuff. You work with glass, melted glass sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a newer body of work. I've been doing, um, fused glass, kiln glass that I got a residency earlier this year at Yucca Valley material lab in Yucca Valley. And, um, it was really pivotal. Like I had been wanting to work with glass for a while. And actually I've been doing stained glass as well, which is kind of a new trajectory. And I have some work, but it's kind of a secondary body of work. But the idea of doing the fused glass was that somehow the stained glass and fused glass could like be something. And I think that already in that realm, you are sometimes dealing with kitsch, like not always. And I'm sure that there are plenty of stained glass artists who would be like unhappy to hear me say that but no but i think it's legit i definitely think uh hold on i'm trying to find your um your instagram so that i i can uh address certain uh, elements that i've seen there it seems like you have to your uh left there's a piece that i've seen something is it like uh is that one of the glass ones this one Um, or is this a rug Oh, that's a rug. Yeah, that's okay. carpet. So that I was yeah. painting carpet, and um, I think these are the ones that I first uh, noticed. Uh, like where I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I'm I'm into this. Uh, like, not that I, I hadn't noticed you before, but this was something. So you you have like a frame, and then it kind of comes out of the frame. If you can see, this is such a weird way to share it. it uh, and uh, it's like a, sort of a floral, fruity kind of uh, a. a low uh, pile kind of um rug situation mm-hmm. uh what, what's the so don't dream it's over uh so you, i guess this was uh at Eastside east side international which i've done a show at too shout yeah, out to east side. uh yeah. that's part of the that's part of the brewery complex which we just had uh lincoln heights uh, last week uh not it hasn't come out yet <laughs> we're two weeks in advance but um What's it called? Yeah. So tell me more about about this sort of material process. Because I see the kitsch side of it, but then there's something happening there that's a little bit more intuitive. 
and a little bit. Um, I think that that's when you were talking about deprogramming from grad school. I think that when you're sort of stuck in this like um, criticality, maybe you're not. Um, I mean, like maybe, maybe you're not as uh, intuitive or you're not as willing to let intuitive things go where there's something to this where I don't know that I could verbalize it kind of like how you were saying about kitsch, but it's there's something to this piece that I think you kind of get, but you're not uh, necessarily I'm not able to verbalize. Right. Like I can describe it and tell you why it's aesthetically pleasing, but there's something about just a piece of cut out rug that is kind of put into this frame but is also expanding outside of it and it conforms to the frame so the shape uh like there there's a there's a shape element here that it actually cuts into the rug so there's like a interesting relationship between those two things and i don't know exactly how to verbalize it but there is something do, do you have you been able to verbalize it specifically with this piece can you give me some insights into how like maybe you would defend it to your professors who would try to rip it apart. Cause I like it. I'm, I don't have anything yeah. critical to say, well, but I want to understand the thinking. Yeah. Well, um, it is, yeah, it's kind of a soup and the, um, I think I'm sort of, well, I'm working with a couple of different things. Like I'm working with cultural symbol, through the decorative and through kitsch and mm. um, also working with uh, the idea of time. So something that exists in the past and in the future, something that's once at once like recalling a memory, but also aspirational, which I think is also very kitsch because kitsch draws from something previous and projects into the future because it's it's completely aspirational in that it's like you know it's a copy of something that has more cultural or monetary value um and then like um things that are taken a little bit more seriously will look to kitsch to like reference it so it like kind of creates this cycle that's all like out of time, this like spiralic cycle. And I think about the work locating, I think painting is like that too. Painting is like at once calling in the past and, and the future. And so yeah, yeah. in a way they're kind of, they're a little disparate, but I, I want them both in the work. And then I also think about how we form a lot of memories with these cultural visual cues that are, can be, universal like obviously regionally um and culturally not completely universal but like you know mass-produced objects fill the home and the home is like where you're forming your identity and you're like building memory and muscle memory and association and things and so I think that's kind of really interesting too that we have this set of like this visual vocabulary through which we are like understanding a really having like a really complex human experience. But like, yeah, I guess those would be the elements that, um, that I think there is a lot of that in that uh, rug piece, right? Like just to, so we don't have to like keep explaining, describe visually describing new pieces. Um, so I, as we were talking, I did kind of, kind of did just feel like I, uh, I, I, an impulse to look up what kitsch actually is defined as by uh, Oxford language dictionary. 
and it says art objects or designs uh, or, or design considered to be in poor taste because of excessive garishness or sentimentality, but sometimes appreciated in an ironic or knowing way. So, I mean, that, that I think that that's interesting um, to just throw in there because that's one of the things that we've maybe gone post-ironic in terms of kitsch because yeah. it is so pervasive yeah. that, like, we don't even necessarily relate to it the way that we might have uh, back, like, when we thought about it. I, I, I'm, I guess my, my point is that, like, for an artist, this definition is, like, a little simplistic, right? Uh, yeah, and actually you're bringing up something interesting that I hadn't really thought about before either, which is I think we are in the process of dismantling hierarchy, hopefully everywhere. <laughs> but in the art world, I'm seeing it a lot, you know, like kind of um, the old guard um, yeah. ideas about value are no longer valid. Like, well, reading, you know, even Donald Judd and his sort of God, like, um, ridiculous rules about what's good in his, in his writing and um, the kind of like eighties and nineties um, theorists and stuff like that's not, that's, I don't think that stuff is valid anymore. I think we can like use what we want to use, like what we like and kind of grab from everywhere. And instead of yeah. like hierarchy, it's about relationality. And I think um, when you're talking, when you read that definition of kitsch, I'm like, Maybe there is no more kitsch because kitsch yeah. requires a hierarchy and it requires in a way some sort of binary relationship between like high and low. And if that's what we're kind of actively trying to like not have, then what is kitsch now? Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think, but I also think that like it's become its own visual language too. So mm -hmm. once it becomes its own thing, like it, 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 like, cause that, that's exactly like, I mean, it is kind of hard to pin down what's kitsch, right? Like, like, you know, you kind of know it when you see it, but can you be like, uh, I don't know. It, it, um, I think it's a, it's like, I don't even, it, it's, I don't know. I have nowhere to go with that thought. <laughs> I, yeah. It's, it's yeah. something that I think about a lot, which is why, um, I mean, I think it exists in my work a little bit, but I think I don't, I think, I think about it as an idea. I don't think the work is yeah, yeah. kitsch, but yeah. Um, and the, and the economy, it's effects on the economy. Like kitsch, kitsch requires mass production of objects in like a yeah. capitalist framework. Cause it's all about like getting it out as much as you can like overloading so that everybody can have access to it and so like bringing up the idea of the mcdonald's happy meal toy like what an insane amount of plastic yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also you know um i think about like the gatekeepers of objects and like who like i remember being a really poor kid and not really getting toys but like happy meal was really affordable yeah and it came with a toy and it was like the one time that I was like great Yahtzee and you know having friends who did not have that experience who were able to sort of like have what they wanted with relative ease and so in a way we like demonize kitsch for being like wasteful or tacky or whatever but there's like a whole population that like that's what they have that's like their access to yeah. um leisure and fun and a sense of cultural belonging and all of that. So it's, 
I think about that too. <laughs> That's kind of heartbreaking. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it be, I mean, mostly because I just think of like, uh, how, the, how much worse that's gotten now, prob- possibly, right? Like, um, uh, in terms of accessing, um, just, well, the way that you put it was like, I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to put my own words, but essentially like joy and things like that access to like, you know, some of the things that, um, we kind of take for granted when, when we're not, um, directly challenged by our access to those things. Right. Like, uh, um, yeah. so that, that's crazy. I, and, uh, you know, and, um, like I, I, I hate to keep bringing Adrian Sachs, but there's a, there is a relationship between what you guys are talking about, not directly. And obviously your work is nothing alike, but I, I, I yeah, in, in preparing for this, I, watched that and looked at her work and I thought, huh, yeah, I might touch on some of the same stuff. So yeah. No, 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 that, that, but that's good because that's something that's new to me. It's a whole new concept to me, but I think it's brilliant. It's really interesting what she was saying about how it's, uh, well, do do you, do you feel like you uh, are one of the crazy people that she was talking about? Because what she said is that she thinks that she's like one of those people that like when they see a number everywhere um about cuteness and that about this like hyper capitalist aesthetic and one of the things that she said that was fascinating is that now she's seeing it trickle down from things that were like for kids to like uh adults so there's like an infantilization there i didn't she didn't put it like that but like re-watching what she was saying like essentially that's what uh the the um the mentality behind that is right like so to me, that whole thing is fascinating. Like I had never even really looked at kitsch or cuteness as like part of a sinister conspiracy, but <laughs> to some degree, it's hard to argue against that, right? Like, and, 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 and going back to that ironic side of it, right? Because I think a lot of it, you know, like the wolf t-shirts with the moons and stuff, like there was a lot of that like cheesy, like, but like ironic to the point where it was like hey man that's actually not cheesy anymore that shit's cool that's a cool wolf shirt you get what i'm saying yeah it circles back and absolutely yeah Yeah. and i think um as far as one of the crazy people that sees the number everywhere after a while i I remember that part that you were talking about like yeah when i get tuned into a pattern it's like it kind of overtakes everything i mean because we're so stimulated all the time that i think you could kind of just pick and choose anything and it will show up because we in this wild world but yeah that that kind of process of like something that's um taken seriously um maybe in a in a design or art or cultural context that becomes democratized through mass production um and then becomes kitsch and then like circles back on itself to, to prof- profundity and like sophistication and yeah 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 like I think about some of like um they're a problematic brand right now for many reasons but I feel like Gucci uh, for the Gucci, past couple yeah. years has been doing a ton of like very campy things. I think that's where they fucked up <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with they, that like they, Fuck. Wait, was it Gucci or who was it that had the uh, blackface uh, uh, thing? The turtleneck? They did something messed up. I can't remember, but I think that was Gucci. They had a couple major yeah. missteps where it's like, do you not, is everybody working for you white? Yeah. 
How did you miss? Like, and that's and actually that's really interesting because that's trying to make that kitschify something super racist and super problematic. That I hadn't even made that connection, but like essentially that was the offense, right? They were like, "Ha ha! Look at how kitsch and ironic this is." But it's like, nah, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Back the, the fuck off. That's, kitsch is so complicated. There's so many ways to look at it, and I think that you're what we're tapping into now, which is something that I try, like, obviously in my own work, I'm, it's not, I don't want to talk about this. I have no right to talk about it, but it does absorb things and in a way that appropriates them and sort of pokes fun at them. And so that becomes instantly racist, like, and, um, no, that was not cool. I my favorite is like uh, uh, Bussy Badass just keeps hating on black people that shop at Gucci. After that, he's just like he's like, what the fuck? And I think that like during uh, uh, I don't I, I forget exactly how it happened, but I just remember a video of him on Instagram Live just like mocking people in line at the Gucci store. I don't know if it was like when people were looting though. I, I'm maybe conflating that, but oh, yeah, maybe, it's yeah. it's crazy and like and to some degree like. I don't know. That is sort of their job and they just made a huge fucking misstep, right? Like the but they're but but they are kind of just inhabiting that space constantly. And and you know, what I kind of how what do you think of this? Cuz I think of like the Louis Vuitton bags as sort of kitsch. Is that would would that how do you feel about that characterization? It's a mass produced object that's like do you you agree with that? Yeah. Oh yeah. And the interesting thing are like the knockoffs, like there's a whole conversation there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the, the logo bags, especially the white ones with the multicolor, like just the col- like, yeah, the colorful ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just complete kitsch, but also so expensive. And even the knockoff Louis Vuitton bags are s- still not like cheap like yeah yeah yeah. no (laughs) and and it but then it becomes crazy because then it's just like uh, a status symbol that is also kitsch right so like it's a kitschify like um yeah i do i definitely i think that you can have kit i think that that i'm not i don't the more i think about that uh, definition i think it's like uh, maybe we're just post kitsch or i don't know (laughs) exactly where we're at but that just doesn't seem because one of the th- examples it uses is uh, um, a uh, black, la- no, a lava lamp as a 60s example of kitsch, right? And definitely I think of a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, when, uh, as I had listened to the, the, the conversation about cuteness again, I realized, like, because um, Adrienne prescribes it to, or Adrian prescribes it to, um, to, uh, sort of the 90s and that's kind of the take a takeoff point but for me the 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 60s really had that sort of like was a takeoff in kitsch where with all these like daisy flower kind of thing and in the 90s that shit was coming back because uh, uh as as things become retro ironic the natural course of things going being like relevant and very popular then like nostalgic and then just like kind of uh ironic like how the 80s were in the early aughts and stuff and then now the 90s are now like there's this uh but it's interesting because i don't think the mass consumerism like when was plastic invented right my parents 
My parents lived through that invention. My parents lived in a time where everything was metal and then plastics came about, right? And so that yeah. acceleration probably happens around the 70s, 90s, right? And then that's where we're at with this thing where it's like it's no longer, I don't know. It's a really fascinating thing to just wonder about without knowing what the fuck you're talking about kind of, right? Like that's yeah, yeah, I like because there's enough there that we are wondering and maybe not knowing what we're talking about, but we are still able to grab a hold of a lot because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're talking about something that's really pervasive. But, but um, it's nebulous too, right? Like in terms of pinning it down, you know it when you see it. Like, oh, yeah, that's fucking kitsch, right? The other – like so as we're talking – as you're talking about that, it makes me think what's like the oldest kitsch in history – like yeah. what? How far can we go back with it? And I think maybe it's less about kitsch and more about a conversation about ornamentation, making things passe, which maybe is kitsch. I think a lot about like rococo or something, mm. where like something that starts as a relatively serious art movement. Though I don't know if rococo was ever taken too seriously. Like maybe I think baroque devolved mm. into rococo because it got tinged with like romance and sentimentality and ornament and became really feminized and all of those things like maybe kitschified it yeah. um, so I think it's less about an aesthetic and more about like what associations get made with it so yeah is, is there is there an element of cliche to it as well I think so. Yeah. Cause I'm wondering, cause uh, what, uh, anybody who, who has uh, gone back and listened to the first episode of the show knows that I'm a huge fan of studying. I mean, not as people, I'm not a fan of them as human beings, but studying the futurists from Italy who were fascists. Right. And we're talking fascists, not, uh, uh, um, eugenist fascists, but like the first fascists, the ones that were like not very competent, weren't a real military force. They uh, tried to start their own empire because they were like, look, France and, and, uh, and you know, England and, and all these countries, they have their colonies and now we're going to get our empire. And so they went and they tried to evade, uh, invade Ethiopia, fucking failed, had to have the Nazis bail them out, right? So like um, that mindset was very much in about breaking with history, right? Like where it, I feel like maybe they sort of saw... Uh, art history as this burden of like romantic cliches and they were like you know like the uh, part of the futures manifesto is about how why would you want to go into into uh into museums to see all this old you know like like <laughs> just disparaging all this history because of this like ambition i mean the, uh with the famous story of of marinetti is that he falls into a ditch and and it has runoff from a factory and he's he's drinking and he's like we should drink this this will be like you know uh th this will be the dr the drink of the future right like and and so to me that excitement and that like i don't know there is an element of like of like shitting on things too right like where you're like where even in our context where we're talking about kitsch being like post kitsch or whatever there's still a, a, an element to like someone picking up something that's been discarded and just brushing it off and being like no this is fucking valuable right <laughs> because it, it and and in our case it might be because it has like um um 
nostalgic or historical context, sentimental attachment, that kind of thing. It's it's a really interesting like uh, thing to just sit and talk about because I, you know I don't even know where we're gonna end up at this point. Like I sometimes in conversation I'm like, oh yeah, we're going in this direction. We're gonna probably end up talking about this. I really have no idea. We're just kind of doing a discovery talk right now where it's like, wait, what if I think of it this way? You know? Yeah. But, yeah. Well, that's sort of, I mean, that's been my, um, that has been my process for a while. And also I have other interests, but I didn't, I don't feel, I'm, I feel like I'm a constant student. And so Mm. I don't feel like I'm an expert in anything. So when, when you approached me for this, I was going through like my favorite topics and I was like, I couldn't talk about that for an hour. I couldn't talk about that for an hour. Like I'm into herbalism. I'm by no means an herbalist. So it's sort of like, you know, what do I have enough familiarity with to talk about? Yeah. And so I think that these ideas have been floating around and inform like, I think that there's a gender element to kitsch as well. And that's really important to me. And that actually informs a lot more than just my art practice. Um, so that's that's sort of why I settled on this idea, because I thought it's, it's an umbrella that could grab a lot of things. So um, what, what, can you get, can you touch on the uh, the gendered side of it? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think that kitsch necessarily has to be gendered. Like, um, I'm thinking about the resurgence of, like, um, thrasher and tribal tattoo imagery and these sort of like tribal cult. tattoos are back yeah like I've been seeing in a lot a lot of sculpture and painting people like okay. doing like flames and barbed wire in a way that feel, like it's it's a little bit ironic and things and I think that's yeah. all pitch. and I think that's coded um, masculine because yeah, it's yeah. like it's circling around like you know, skate culture and whatever metal was happening at that time. But, and so all those wow, things- you associate, I associate tribal tattoos with like party kids from Miami that go to South mm-hmm. Beach. I, that's I so funny. I, I think so many people ended up getting them that you can kind of associate them with okay. whoever. Uh, but I always, I always felt like the people that got them in my world were trying to portray some level of like hardness. Hardness. So, okay. Yeah. Which is fine. It's so funny how regional tattoos are then, like the way. <laughs> yeah, they are. They can, and also based in time as mm. well. You know, I think if you get something at a certain time, it means something different than if you got it five or 10 years later, maybe. Yeah, like if you get um, it now, you're making an ironic statement, whereas if you got it then, you were being trendy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but oh, where was I? Okay, so all these things that are kind of like, in this realm of kitsch and irony, I believe have also been coded masculine. And I think that artists that deal with masculine kitsch and boyhood and, and boyish pop culture get taken seriously. Like I'm thinking about like Matthew Day Jackson Mm -hmm. or Mike Kelly, or, you know, artists that are like, I'm going to discuss youth culture through the lens of being a boy. And you do not see that on the flip side with feminine level of respect you mean girlhood yeah you it's not it's not I mean maybe now maybe it's starting but it's not it's not there and so um 
I like, I guess I was like sort of looking on and thinking I wanted to mine these aspects of my life, but feeling like somehow my girlhood wasn't as valid or like my cultural touch tones and experience weren't as valid as like, um, somebody that could, I don't know, have access to all those things that I just sort of. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when you, when you like, I mean, uh, when you said that, when you started talking about the gender thing, I hadn't even thought of, uh, like in my mind, um, it's a lot about uh, like I, what I picture when I picture the kitsch stuff, I picture bright colors and things like that. Whereas the tribal sort of is kitsch, but it's not, it, it, it's not something that I necessarily like uh, um, thought of. What, what other, what other masculine kitsches do you think of? Cause I mean, I agree with you with the idea that uh, male art stuff, and I'm not talking about the work of a particular artist. I uh, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of like, what would you consider masculine kitsch like uh um, other than other than than the tribal stuff just to give me a better idea because obviously when i think of rainbows and stuff um which are which was my entry point into this conversation with uh with adrian like it uh it's it, it it's a very different sort of uh thing but like can you help me think of like toy soldiers and like action figures is that kitsch um yeah, maybe um yeah uh who's that cowboy Marty Robbins or like I'm thinking about like rhinestone cowboys or Elvis or even like Billie Eilish in a way because I think she's sort of a walking barbed wire tattoo like that's her okay. aesthetic which is definitely I think like I mean a, gendering things does get complicated and I, I do no no, no no I don't I, I, you, well but we th- that being said we were talking about McDonald's toys and mm-hmm. I was just drove through a McDonald's and I noticed, Oh, these motherfuckers still have boys and girls toys, right? They have yeah. the Disney princesses and then they have, so this is a very much a relevant conversation without trying to exclude people. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would like to create a world in which like gender meant something totally different. And we didn't, we yeah. didn't even like, I, I sometimes think that using masculine and feminine are shorthands shorthand and lazy words for something that's like much more complicated but i think in what we're talking about right now it's like really useful well, um, in language it also helps too right like masculine and feminine so so i, I like i don't I, let's not worry about getting getting canceled <laughs> you know during this I conversation i feel like i need to cancel myself and i'm always like no but 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 i mean i mean uh like obviously one you know obviously people are a a, a mix of uh very many different kind of uh of vibes right like i even i as masculine as i am uh, identified as people i have like you know uh respect for feminine traits inside of me right or that or would be considered feminine traditionally right that whole thing is a mind fuck fuck in and of itself because it's like those are just traits right like rather than like but um, but in the terms of kitsch, I think it is pretty overt, right? And like yeah. even you know, even if uh, if we're talking about camp and kitschiness, I think that um, camp, like there's a lot of ownership on camp from the drag queen community. I think because mm-hmm. there's there's such a a reliance on that in in terms of that. So it's it's not a a sacrilegious like uh, framing of, of, of in terms of how we're looking at these things. So 
I, you know, I definitely want to be sensitive to like, obviously there's no, uh, like gender being a construct and, and all of those things. Like when we're talking about even the idea of a blue and a, and a, and a pink, uh, toy aisle, that's like a relatively new thing. Boys and girls clothing. Like if you look at pictures of, uh, people way back in the day, like George Washington, they're wearing dresses, like when they're little boys and shit like that. So it's not, uh, you know, in fact, there's some outfits that dudes used to wear that <laughs> I don't think you can pull off right now as a dude. <laughs> I would love to see it, but I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but anyway, going back now that we've done uh, a 10 minutes of apologies, uh, let's get back to what I was asking you about. What do you think like, you know, is considered more masculine? in terms of like uh, kitsch? Yeah, I, well, it's interesting because as we're talking about it, I do think that kitsch can be a very feminizing lens because in naming like the idea of the rhinestone cowboy or the kind of, well, all this is problematic for other ways. Let's just say rhinestone cowboy. Um, you're still glamming them up in a way that is coded as feminine. So mm -hmm. like, I think kitsch can get messy and complicated, but yeah, I think about... Um, do you think that's why it's considered garish and in poor taste because it's so feminized? Is that like a low key misogyny thing? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I that think makes that, sense. I think that kitsch that airs on the side of like cultural tropes that are historically boyish that could still be considered kitsch are like fair game and held up in the art world historically as like, look at how, look at how yeah. kind of like edgy this adult male artist is in dealing it's with subversive. Yeah. And if uh, like, it's, I mean, we have some of the, some of the female, like YBA artists, like I um, kind of touched on that and that was great. Um, but it's not, it's, it's new. It's like women have had to work a lot harder to um, take ownership over their, yeah experiences and, and things like that i think and have them be taken seriously in a way that men just have it handed to them by default so i think about that a lot um inside and outside the studio um yeah <laughs> well i definitely i definitely uh feel like there is a thing where um, I'm uh, a lot of times I'm a little bit more interested in hearing what women artists have to say on the show, because first of all, I, I, we, it, like it already, I, I'm already a dude. So if we have two dudes, it's already a sausage fest, right? Like, but, <laughs> but I do think that there is a, um, I think that you get answers to questions that you wouldn't necessarily get from, from guys where like, cause I think when you have, when I have guy artists on the show, they're they're maybe a little bit more um, focused on what it is because they're allowed, what, what is they're working on because they're allowed to, they don't have to like sort of go around things and be like, and contextualize them because the world is sort of targeted towards them. Right. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's oh, like, yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a, there's a, uh, like it's safe to speak in general terms when you're a guy in a sense and 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 speak in a term like speak on behalf of people whereas uh that it, whereas like i think that there's a little bit more sensitivity around that when it comes to like women artists and there there's a lot more awareness of like 
how the world isn't fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know? I think it's, it's like when you have to, um, when you grow up having to like apologize for what you want or, or in an extreme case, like apologize for even existing in certain mm-hmm. worlds, like you do become really in tune with that. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's led to my interest in the decorative and kitsch because I feel like it's, there are these things that on a certain level do you have to apologize just for existing, but it's like, no, they're, they're also extremely powerful and super influential in our lives. Like, I mean, I'm sure we can all go back and recall like a very pivotal moment in our lives that was either that was maybe painful or joyous or whatever, but like the wallpaper we were staring at when that happened to us, you know, and that's like the same wallpaper that exists in like thousands and thousands of houses across the, the country and everyone's like having a different experience with it. Meanwhile, the the wallpaper in the realm of the decorative is like treated in this way. That's like, I'm sorry, you're probably going to have to replace me in five years. Like, yeah, I know I'm corny, you know, and like kind of apologizing for itself, but also incredibly important in, in us. Yeah, like when, uh, what's his name? When Bobby <laughs> from, uh, Queer Eye walks into a house and is like, this has not been updated since the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I'm still thinking about that one particular, in one of the seasons, there was like a house that was like, oh my God, this kid inherited a house and it was just like, oh yeah, it definitely needs an update. But Man, at the same time, it's, it's also a crime to destroy all that kitsch, all that time-specific time kitsch, right? Like where you're like... <gasps> Don't paint over that. <laughs> yeah, if you wait long enough, you know, it will it will be it will come back, which is that cycle is really interesting to think about too. Like I think about all the travesties that are happening in the name of Chip and Joanna Gaines right now and like the the shiplap and the making everything look like the inside of a barn and how cringy it is. Um and how like in 20 or 30 years we might become wistful for that look you know we might be like oh it's and one of the things that happens to you is that since you are through the transition of styles sometimes you'll go back and you'll look at styles and be like damn we were wearing that shit like (laughs) you forget that you're not dressing the same as you were back then and you're like oh my god damn right that's those pants were crazy you know Mm -hmm. i could fit people underneath them (laughs) well that's the that's the you know insidiousness of kitsch like you can make an argument against it or not kitsch but just you know the decorative in general which kitsch is a part of is that ornamentation is obsolescence so like there's no reason to stop wearing the pants you wore 10 years ago unless your body changes or it falls out of style. And when things fall out of style, more money gets to be made because more clothes that are in style get sold. So it's very yeah. capitalist. Like the ornament is an extremely kind of, or has been co-opted, let's say has been co-opted by a capitalism as like a pretty effective tool and I yeah. say that because we can trace ornamentation back long before capitalism. It was like yeah. one of our first urges as human beings was to like access ornament. Um, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's funny shit. Like it is, it is just, uh, it's so particular, right? As a, as a, as a topic and as an aesthetic, like the, um, when you really start to think about something as nebulous as like something that, 
can be defined by how mass produced it is and how, how ubiquitous it is, then, then it's a thing that's in your life all the time, but then you're like, can't quite define it. It, 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 it's a, it's a weird headspace, right? Like, it's like, uh, it's kind of like when you're tripping on acid, I don't know if you've ever done hallucinogens, but you're like, you're like, everything makes sense and it's never going to make sense like this again. Right. It's, It's like this thing. It's like a fleeting, like you grasp onto it and then you're like, Oh yeah, but what is it? What is kitsch? What, what the fuck? You know, like, you know, and, and I think it is always evolving, uh, as we discussed a little bit. So it's, it's crazy. That awareness uh, is so exciting to me. The fact that yeah. it, it like can't really be defined. And in a way, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today can't be defined, like thinking about, um, time presence, you know, memory and aspiration and gender and all these things that all of that is like super, it's way fluid and nonlinear. And, um, yeah. And, and it's interesting because it's also, so there's kitsch, but then there's also an artisanal movement, which I think runs counter to it a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of like there is a desire for authenticity and for craftsmanship and for the, the, the person's hand. Right. Whereas whereas kitsch is just like is like uh, the shit that everybody has in their uh, their storage space. Right. Like, they, yeah. the, uh, you, you know, like they they don't have that shit. Uh, like there's an excess of kitsch where it does, no longer fits in your house. And you don't want to get rid of it or you don't want to go through it most likely. So you just throw it all in a fucking room. And then there is a thing that happens when you're moving and you find like a random gun for a random toy that you no longer have the toy, but you have the belt for like a whatever, a little action figure that I used to have or whatever. I have a whole fucking thing, a, a, a bag here. Here, actually, I might as well start pulling some shit out of it since it's right here. I'll be right back. Right. <laughs> Speaking of not wanting to go through anything. <laughs> but like okay so i have this bag uh, uh here let me get back on mic i have this bag that is just full of shit that like i can't really throw away but like okay so something like this this is a gun with a project oh, fire projectile from a uh terminator 2 truck yeah uh, and then i uh you know Let me see if I can find something, you know, the torso to a transformer. (laughs) What do you do? What do you do? Because they have identities and they have associations and they once belonged to something and it feels wasteful to throw out plastic. Yes. I think that's the key. The plastic, because you know, it's not going to, it's, it's never going to, here, this is the one I was looking for. It's a raft with guns on it. It's bright yellow and black. It says chill out on a sticker over here. And this used to be for a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Now, you, you know, like, uh, how, what can be more kitsch than a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, right? Yeah, like, in terms of... Perfect. You get what I'm saying? And so yeah. it, this little thing, I can't throw it away. I don't yeah. have the toy. I'm never going to d- display it. But it's like... It's amazing. It's uh, so I don't know. There, there is something to that. Like it's a visceral thing that Kitsch does to you. I think also, right? Like we're we're just a piece of something that reminds you of something that was just a piece of junk the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you're you're like now we're talking about another le- 
reason that I love kitsch, which I don't know if I've touched on before or not, but like you're, you're, I, you're totally bringing it up, which is that kitsch is nostalgic, sentimental, emotive. It's like, we can, it like hits us here, you know, mm-hmm. and sentimentality is sort of a bad has been a bad word in an art context. Like if you're, if you're making work that can be read as sentimental or romantic or um, containing any of those sorts of like feelings or emotions, it's not going to, it's not serious. Yeah. <laughs> but kitsch is all about that. Like what the way you just described mm-hmm. your relationship with that toy, which is very cool by the way. And I probably wouldn't get rid of it either. Well, um, thank you for like, ma- making sure I don't throw it away now. Just <laughs> contributing to everyone's pack rat tendencies, but <laughs> I just needed validation. That's all. Yeah. Well, you know, you, the cool thing about being an artist is that we get to be legitimate hoarders for our yeah. job. Cause like, what if it ends up in a sculpture? Who knows? Or what yeah. if it ends up just inspiring you from looking at it? Yeah, yeah. And pattern. you're not even aware of it. Yeah, you no. want you want the those things around you for sure. Um, so keep it in your yeah, studio. Okay. <laughs> the other but, thing. Oh fuck! I keep I keep having a thought and it keeps escaping because you keep saying interesting stuff. So so I'm just gonna let it go, but hopefully it'll come back. <laughs> but it's the idea of. Uh, uh, never mind. Go ahead. Anyway, it, yeah, the idea of sort of, um, oh, okay. The other thing that's interesting right now in terms of the, because we were talking about hierarchies, right? And, and how a lot of things are being uh, dehierarched. That's not a word, but I'm going to use it. And, and uh, um, like... I think that that is happening on a very real level outside of art as well in that – and I've said this on the show before, but I think it, it's something that needs to be like reinstated because I think how, how often in your life as an artist have you uh, felt pressure to be more pragmatic in terms of like seeing people that start their own businesses and you're just like, oh man, I, I'm, I'm – like those people are so much better than me. And now those people, like, we're on equal, like, footing. If you spent your entire life working at a fucking restaurant and you're an unsuccessful artist, or not working at a restaurant, owning a restaurant, owning a business of any kind that got shut down to the, during the economy, like, now you're just, your, your societal value is pretty much on par with an artist that hasn't even been successful at all. Do you get what I'm saying? I had never considered that, but that's really interesting as, like, the... For a second, I thought you were offended. <laughs> Can <No>. your reaction, <laughs> your expression. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, what are your well, thoughts on that? Can never be worth as much as a restaurateur, and I'm <laughs> no, but the, I'm I'm just kind of like wrapping my mind around that and really thinking about that, like the the way that the pandemic has shifted what is valuable to us, what is important to us, what and what's available, and things, and also just like giving people all this free time so that we see people who are like, well, I've always wanted to do this thing. That's, you know, art adjacent or just art. And now, now I have the time to do it. And we're seeing that value structure shift, but yeah. um, And, and just to to add on that, uh, I think that's a hundred percent by design. I think that the reason that we didn't get any money in the pandemic, the way that we, I mean, we've gotten like measly pittance, but like everybody else has had their job protected in, in other countries. There's, there are programs where people are going to, once the economy's open back up, 
no one's lost their job and shit like that. And I strongly believe that one of the reasons that that like imagine if people have free time and free money in this country, how many new businesses we're going to start. And the objective was to make businesses fail so you could buy shit at wholesale prices like they did in 2009 where they told people, hey, default on your mortgages. It turned out all to be a scam. When people defaulted, then the, they were foreclosed upon and they didn't get the, 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 uh, the funding that they were going to get for defaulting, right? So like, uh, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about how, um, you know, there were uh, like... The focus and fairly has been on renters being evicted, but the reality of that problem goes much deeper than that because what ends up happening is that if I'm, if I'm not paying my landlord rent, the landlord's not paying their mortgage and typically it's like a third of, uh, of what they, they, they go. So if they're not getting any income at all, it doesn't matter if it's only a third of what their their income is. They're still not getting that third that they would use to pay off their mortgages. They get foreclosed upon. And now all of that wealth is transferred up upwards towards hedge funds and, uh, and basically the creditors are Wall Street, right? So we're having, uh, like there's a, there's a really fucked up valuation system that goes and it goes, I, I was watching, a, I, I highly recommend, um, I can't get you out of my head. I still haven't finished it. It's a six part series. Adam Curtis, I don't know if you ever saw hypernormalization, but mm-hmm. one of the things he talks about is that when Nixon took us off the gold standard, um, then the petrodollar came into prominence and then people started trading on the fluctuations of currencies in different countries like they like you remember how enron uh, was uh, trading on energy like that yeah. so basically our whole economic system is uh is is a speculation on the rise and fall of different currencies as they happen and like that's why everything is part of the global financial system that's why they want bolivia's uh, lithium that's why they're just cooing everything they, everything needs to be part of this bigger system and as that happens value keeps moving upwards and there's nothing in the, in the bottom for us right like uh like in terms of um of of individual wealth because now you have people you know like how many people have given you the advice of like hey you should buy property you should be a landlord you should own some property that's a really good investment it's never going to be a bad investment until they fuck you out of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so now right? you could now you could be a property owner, and you're still as value uh, your your value is equivalent to that of an artist, right? So one of the things that I think is really important about uh, doing the show, not to pat myself on the back, but because no one ever really fucking watches this, the show, (laughs) this isn't like a huge hit, you know, but one of the things, the reasons that I do the show and that that I would like to catch on is the idea of artists as non-commodity, as thinkers, as opposed to commodity makers, right? Because there's so much focus on art, on art and on what the artist makes, but the, the narrative ends up serving sort of this capitalist, myth of like oh well this is one of the good ones because he's not starving right (laughs) or her yeah anyway do you have any thoughts that you want to add to that or Uh, i could keep rambling (laughs) yeah i kind of love what you're saying and i you know it's i hadn't really thought about the pandemic as an equalizer between different um professions in in that way and that's like yeah imagining imagining a landlord being on par with 
an artist who's like never sold a painting a day in their life. That's really, that's really interesting. Um, and how much we assign value to what we do in the world. And when what we do is taken away, we have a really hard time struggling with where our value is and what our identity is. Like we're so defined by our labor. It's crazy. And I think that um, talking about artists as thinkers, like the way that you're doing, we kind of know that that's like our inside joke, right? Like when you say that it's not a stretch for me, I'm like, yeah. No, we all know. That's why we like each other. That's why we talk to each other. Yeah, but (laughs) it's right. But it's hard to, it's, I mean, everything needs to be commodified in order to be understood in this, in, in where we like at this point in time, I think. Um, Well, when the show makes it big, I'll pay all of my guests and I'll be very happy to commodify every one of you. But in the meantime, <laughs> I, I, but, but at the same time, I would be commodifying you guys for your thoughts and your, your, your interests as opposed to just strictly for the, how successful you are making. You know, to some degree, I don't even really like you're, an, you're somewhat of an exception. I don't really look at people's work that intensely before I invite them on the show. I sort of get a sense for them on Instagram and then if I if they post a lot of their work, I see it. But if not, I just kind of get a vibe from them. The last guest that I had on was uh, Kale, uh, uh, Kaylee, uh, whatever I forget. Her, she wanted to go by Kale, so that's fine. Because um, uh, but the, like when when I saw her work, I was like, holy shit, this is actually really good landscape photography, you know. Yeah. And then one of the things that I realized is that. I tend to think of landscape as a boys game, right? Mm-hmm. So so maybe that's where that shot came and when I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is like really legitimately interesting work." Uh and and then just being like, "Oh my god, there's a prejudice there." Holy shit, I didn't know that I had that there. And then just to be able to like uh force that like uh recognition just by talking to somebody and then like being like okay i know that this is i knew she was a smart person because i've seen that's kind of like the thrust of what she does but then um when you see not everybody can translate that to the work right Mm -hmm. and so that's fine with me because not everybody's at that stage of their art life where they have that shit nailed down right but like you're still a legitimate artist so to me that's the important part of it but then like what I find doing the show when I take that approach, like sometimes people will be like, why did you invite me? And I'm like, oh, it's not because of your art. <laughs> to the, like, I mean, I don't say that, but I did, they, that's definitely missing. And then they don't respond because they're like offended. But I'm like, no, I, I actually saw something more interesting than just good art, right? Well, I think that, you know, what you're talking about kind of goes against the current trend of professionalization in the art world and like Mm. um you know the art world is super capitalist and so a lot of the time it is like well yeah who is this person are they making something that looks like it could serve me either I could sell it or it could be curated into a really thoughtful show that could get press or like yeah where are they showing who do they know like those are the those are the conditions usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think what you're talking about is something completely different. Like um, you're not, you're looking at things from a, an angle that's like not, it should be the angle, no. but it's often not. Um, 
Well, hopefully there's a market for it because if not, I'm just going to keep doing this for 10 years only for personal gratification. <laughs> hey, and that's a fine way to do something there, too. There could be worse fates for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's the other thing is like um, always needing an object or always needing a commodity or always needing a sense of progress and growth yeah. are very – that or can, they can be very toxic – capitalist notion. yes um, yeah and so, and, yeah and like uh for example the other day I, well I, I i work on another show called the vietnamese and i was joking with him because my another co-worker of mine at my day job uh his wife started a podcast and immediately and, and like so they were like oh it's launching this day this day and then um I like after it launched, I hear it from him and he goes, Oh, it's number eight in the country. And I got so mad. <laughs> like, you know, within a healthy perspective, I was like, yeah. and I was like immediately like, like Oh, she has to have a uh, support. She has to have like a whole organization behind her and all of that. And I was right. But at the same time, it was like, it's like, it hits you right here. You know, it's like, I've been doing this for so long. She just launches blah, blah, blah. But like, the reality is, is that like there is no system of me promoting, right? Like, but I, basically, it's just me asking people, "Hey, do you want to be on the show?" And then if they decide to promote it, they decide to promote it. If not, not like that's fine. It's kind of on me to to grow the show. But it's such a funny thing, like that. Like I think that that hint of jealousy, like as I I don't want to resent it because I think it's like such an important part of being a creative person. Right. Oh, jealousy is just information. That's all it yeah. is. Like jealousy yeah. is pointing to some something that you need to resolve in yourself or a, a place in which you feel like less than or unsafe or something, and then you just learn from jealousy. Yeah. So it can be motivating, <laughs> it can be inhibitory, but it's just information. And you know, bringing up the idea that she might have a network behind her, I'm thinking about now. Like podcasts are such a huge, huge medium that like. I feel like major media outlets are just churning out dumb podcasts left and right. And so yeah. it probably isn't that hard for somebody if they have those connections to just like start their podcast with their minor celebrity co-host. <laughs> well, that's, that's why, that's why there was so much backlash when uh, Brie Larson joined YouTube. Right. Cause it's like, well, everybody fucking knows you. Nobody, you know, <laughs> like it's, yeah. where's the challenge. It's supposed to be like an egalitarian web, uh, like uh, service, not a, uh, a place where you're competing with big stars like her. But that's, yeah, but yeah. anyway, the, the point being that like, I, I don't know, there's something that it, it was just, it's funny to be, not just an artist, but also somebody that is like uh, engaged in podcasting because I care about both equally, right? And okay. and then uh, you know, this is the first year that I'm like going. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons why the show isn't like as big as it could have been, right? Because at first I did it more as a hobby, and this is the first year that I'm like, uh, like last year I was going to try to do a, one episode every week. This is the first year that I'm actually going to hit that because there's no COVID to fuck that up and I'm already on a good flow I figured out all the like uh workflow stuff but at the same time man there's that thing of like when you have resources like the the the, the jealousy of that like oh my god because the show that I'm working on on the Vietnamese they already have they have a marketing team they have other other people and we're hustling to get it out 
but he's not part of a podcast network, right? Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, when I told him, the whole, which is the whole point of the story, is that he loved that. He was like, I love how real you are with all this shit. I'm like, bro, <laughs> that's the life of the artist. You know, you kind of have to like address that shit. Like, you, you, you know, it's, it's always there to some level. It's not, yeah, like what you're describing, your feelings around podcasting happened to me in the studio. They, I think they happen to every artist or anybody yeah. who's creative. And I, there are, I mean, that's a topic for a whole another hour <laughs> of like how... Yeah, we can start uh, wrapping up. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. I, 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 I do strangely have um, work to do today on a Sunday. Like, I don't know why I do this to myself. You got rugs to frame? No, I wish it were that. I have like day job work. I, oh, okay. it's, you know, the getting back into a routine. I don't want to say post COVID, but getting back into a routine now that things are opening up has been a little bit like, what am I doing? Oh my but, god! Um, but you know, just just real quickly, one more thing about um, podcasts is that I do prefer. I think podcasts are the wild west. They are sort of the like scrappy thing that you listen to that you don't necessarily want to be super polished like we have audiobooks for that we have yeah. like recorded we have like, npr for that yeah like yeah the, the actual <laughs> radio like i think that um i i do kind of like the self-produced podcast i like podcasts with like a distinct point of view and so i think there's a place a place for all of it and yeah i just hope it can be I could, I, my, my goal here is to eventually make money without reading one single advertisement. <laughs> so I'm also not helping myself. <laughs> yeah, that, that's tricky, right? Because, yeah, I don't know how you would do that, but I'm sure, I'm sure it can be done or it's been done and can be referenced or I don't know. No, I'm sure. I, we'll, 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 what, I mean, the show makes some money. We do have three patrons, so it's not oh, okay. impossible. Uh, I think that the main thing that I'm having that I'm struggling with right now in terms of like, this has just become a podcast therapy session, (laughs) but the main thing that I'm struggling right now is that I think that when I was less regular, like now when I put out episodes every week, the, I don't think that there's like as many downloads because people are, it's more consistent. Whereas I think that when I release them more sporadically, people would remember the show and then like, listen to like. A whole bunch of different thing, a, a, a whole bunch of different episodes. So the sus, the sus, the sustaining and continuing and like on a week to week, just doing the show and putting it out there, and more and more becoming like, yo, this is content. I don't need to fucking edit it. You know, I don't need. It doesn't need to be like perfect. It can be rough around the edges. People just want to hear the conversations and whatnot. I mean, there's little adjustments like maybe I, you know, that I've been doing like getting to the topic a little bit faster and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, the other thing is that I just basically do this in in pretty much uh, a vacuum. So I don't get like a lot of feedback from people, which is healthy, but also kind of like not as constructive as like when you have a studio visit and stuff. So it's one of those too. What's that? Don't you think that's a condition of COVID? Like if you were going out and you could be like, Hey, listen to my podcast or, um, people might see you. I don't know. Yeah, but my friends would probably say nice things about it. (laughs) Yeah. If you, maybe being on a platform where reviews can be left or something. Yeah. I just need to figure out some stuff or maybe I'll just have like, uh, 
uh, just reach out to people and be like, hey, man, where do you think I can improve? Because, I mean, obviously there's like there's always room for improvement for anything. But um, yeah, this just became weird. But <laughs> but in the in, in terms of like I like I do think it's a it's a great uh, a great space to just have an intimate conversation, which is why I ended up revealing so much about my insecurities of podcasting. Hey, that's, <laughs> You've, that's... We've built trust. Um, and you know, I'm all about being like radically vulnerable with people and especially now that the world is upside down and who knows what even matters. Like, why not just say the shit you want to (laughs) say? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And I definitely don't blame people for not listening, which I think is a healthy place (laughs) to not like thinking about like the, you know, the way people, like the way I do, I'll find a podcast, love it, and then binge it. Yeah. And so you, I mean, you might have a certain amount of regular listeners now, but then every so often you could encounter that one new listener who's just like, I need all the episodes while I'm cleaning the house. And then, yeah. you know, I think that's how people consume podcasts. Yeah. And I, but I do appreciate the idea. I do appreciate you pointing out that you like the loose style because sometimes you just feel like, fuck, there's so much competition out there. Do I need to start like polishing up? I think what my my solution is, is I'm just like putting out more uh, clips on Instagram. I also didn't realize how heavy Instagram was a source of listenership for me until mm-hmm. like I thought everybody that listened to the show was already subscribed. But I think the reality is, is that people like see it on Instagram and then they listen to it. And that like it's not, you know, so I think that little things like that. But anyway, I, I, I'm done boring people to death with like the ins and outs of podcasting. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. We are neighbors and the economy is opening up. So I am serious about doing the drawing thing. I have three-day weekends now for my day job. So if you got, if you and uh, some friends want to get together and I, uh, I'll bring someone else some along, with the, I'm definitely interested in trying to organize that. Obviously, it's not going to be released to the public because I don't want to be like, hey, everybody, this is where I live or this is where uh, Anne, Anna's uh, studio is. But uh, maybe eventually it can become a, a broader thing because yeah, that, would be that cool. is a, I like yeah. the idea of community. This is that's one of the things that I'd ra- like I'm more focused in and is sort of making a space where artists can can kick it. Do you know Made in LA at all? The the yeah. uh, the, the the not uh, uh, hammer museum show. Yeah, yeah, I participated with them. Okay. Um, in in one of their early. We figured it out. Now we know how we know each other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're they're great, and I like that event. And I think that event, um, yeah. or it's, it's like a stitched together series of whatever. It's not easily defined. I mean, we yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But I do I do. Well, that this show is very much inspired by by uh, that whole thing. Like I, uh, I and by Molly and, and Salome directly. So the whole idea of egalitarianism in art, I think, and since it's going back to the hierarchies thing, I think is super important. So I'm always happy to make new friends at uh, and and I'm very happy to have met you. Uh, and, yeah, me too. And thank you. This has been fun. Um, yeah, this is great. Yeah, I love I, I love I, we definitely got into that space where like where my brain couldn't quite grasp. And if I can achieve that, ooh, oh, that's like so that's elusive my favorite spot to be in where I'm like this. I, I'm testing out this idea. It feels like maybe it's wrong, but I'm not going to know until I finish yeah. the thought. And that's I love that. And there's not a lot of that right now because we're just kind of isolated. So this has been super welcome for me. 
Cool. Yeah. Really no, this, the, oh, this podcast is how I've survived. <laughs> I, bet. I bet. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, well, this has been great. Thank you. And then do, uh, can we promote your stuff? Where, where can people find you? Yeah. On Instagram, a Brininger. Um, can you spell Brininger? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, B R E I N I N G E R. And I have my websites up not updated like I think most people's are, but yes, yeah, so I just mostly post on Instagram. So hey, oh, yeah. her. but yeah. yeah, she's a good follow. And I am at a Javier Proenza and at what's my thesis. Uh, and I'm always, and in fact, if you guys want to give me some constructive feedback, that's not going to hurt my feelings. You can always hit me up on Instagram, uh, DM me, just be like, Hey, you, you know, be like, Hey, I heard the show thoughts. And then that way, if you're, if I'm not following you back, uh, I, I know that, uh, you're part of the crew and I will definitely follow you back if I know you listen to the show. So, uh, what's it called? Um, yeah. And we're on YouTube. We're on all platforms. Uh, if you'd like to give us a positive review, don't, don't use the star system to give us the feedback. <laughs> That's for five stars only. And, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening and thank you uh, for coming on.